Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Biblical submission is about uh, submitting ourselves in a variety. voluntarily submit ourselves to individuals, authorities, and institutions that aren't perfect. Um, and so as we walk through this, much uh, can be maligned about biblical submission, even as we were, were discussing this week in the office. It was, well, I wonder how much uh, the community, as so they drive by and see the sermon title, Biblical Submission, what types of thoughts that people had uh, when they drive by our sign. But the reality is, it means something. And we want to be able to try to begin to dive in, right in line with the Word of God, allow it to lead us and instruct us in the Word this morning. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible and uh, maybe even new to church, uh, these gatherings on Sunday mornings, we encourage you to uh, take one of the pew Bibles there, the chair Bibles, and, and look inside and just pull out uh, the, the Bible. You turn to the table of contents here in the beginning and look up 1 Peter. be there in the New Testament First uh, Peter chapter two. I would tell you the verse uh, or the page number, but my, I'm not preaching out of one of those Bibles this morning, so it would not help you at all that I give you my page number in my ESV translation. So, uh, but First Peter chapter two, beginning in verse thirteen through seventeen, and as uh, we read this, I would encourage you to also take out those notes. Pretty extensive this morning. Um, doesn't mean that the sermon's going to go that much longer. I, I just really wanted to help unpack this for you and put in your hands uh, notes you could take home with you. Many times we'll say these exact things and you don't see the full notes. And these aren't the full notes, of course, but uh, more notes to be able to put in your hand to help, ho- hopefully help us as we dive into this this morning. So I encourage you to take out those notes and fill those in as we go along. And the notes will be on the screen behind me as well. So First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13 to verse 17. The Word of God says, Be subject... For the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And yet again, honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father, I pray you'd help us to understand an aspect of biblical submission as we will be unpacking this theme for a while as it relates to other forms of biblical submission as well. But Lord, I pray you'd help us today. Grant clarity to what your word means. And in that, Father, you would apply it to our lives. Lord, you'd help us to see areas that we are not in conformity with this. And that, Lord, we would repent and we would trust you. Glorify you by yielding in these manners. Lord, we acknowledge that we will yield to institutions and persons who some are unsaved. Who do not desire to honor you or glorify you in their deed and their conduct and their thinking. 
And yet, Lord, you've called us to submit to them. And so, I, Lord, I know there's a balance in this. There's clarity. There's wisdom. Not only in the submitting, but, Lord, navigating through areas when that is impossible to do. And so I pray you'd grant me clarity of speech, clarity of mind. Lord, I pray there'd be nothing said that would be in contradiction to your word. And if so, I pray it would not be heeded or even heard. And for all that is right in line with your teachings, I pray your spirit would take your word and accomplish your great purposes in us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so biblical submission, as we're walking through this text, remembering where we come from. So Peter is walking to or talking to a variety of uh, Christians in a variety of different locations. He calls them elect exiles, chosen ones that are strangers in this world, uh, that they are citizens of heaven. And so he begins to talk to them about um, the mercies that they've received through the gospel. And so the joy of salvation, the uh, the, the hope of our salvation, the confidence we can have in our salvation, then begin to move us through, oh, if we've been saved, because we've been saved, we should live holy as our God is holy. And that be mindful of the fact that our, we have a Father, so we have a relationship with Him that we did not have before. We have a Father who judges justly. And so He's not simply a judge. He's just looking for us to mess up where He can just smite us or destroy us. And it's not karma, what goes around comes around. No, we have a Heavenly Father who's received us unto his own, who's changed us, who's transforming us into the image of his son, and he's going to judge us according to our works in the line of that. And so from that, the Bible would begin to tell us that how do we then begin to be conformed to the image of Christ? How do we then uh, live in accordance to the word? How do we be holy, as the passage would tell us? And so the latter portions of, of chapter 1, moving into chapter 2, is that through the word of God, that that ultimately, as we begin to see, that all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then he begins to talk through us that, okay, this is what's been done for you. Now, this is who you are. Then he moves into chapter 2 about us being uh, living stones, like living stones, that Jesus Christ being the living stone, the chief cornerstone, and in him, everything finds its meaning and its being in Christ. And so we've been reconciled to God unto Christ, and that Christ is a cornerstone, both chosen and precious before God. But here's the reality. Even though he's chosen and precious for God in this world, the world hates him and rejects him, and they disobey him, and they stumble over him, and he's a rock of offense to him because this is what they were being carried out to do, right? Their wicked desires are in direct conflict with the word of God. And so as a result of that, he continues to remind us, but not the case with you. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession for a purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of who he is. And it's in light of that, that once we were not a people, now we're a people. We once had not received mercy. We received mercy. He encourages us as strangers and uh, aliens in this world, our citizenships in heaven, that we should, what, abstain from the passions of our flesh, which wars against us in our souls. And we would keep our conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles. And Gentiles there simply just mean the unsaved, right? So the word picture there to where the the children of Israel, the Jews, were God's chosen people. And everyone who was not the chosen people were considered Gentiles. And so as a result of this, it's take, taken on a new meaning that even though they might not be of the tribe of Levi or of the, 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 um, of, of, they might not be Israelites, the tribes of Levi, or I keep saying Levi, of Israel, despite the fact they not be of the tribes of Israel, they're not a Jew, that it's not simply just a, um, a national type of description, but it means a spiritual description. So now that the wall of separation has been torn down and Jews and Gentiles as far as nationally are coming to faith in Christ, 
Gentiles is now described as those outside of the faith. And so keep your conduct honorable amongst those who are not Christians, those who are not followers of Christ. So that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in heaven. And then right out of that context, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now that can be difficult. If we're not walking in accordance to the, to the word of God and we're walking in accordance to the flesh. I mean, think about even in a culture now with so much debate over who potentially will be our next president and uh, the antagonism that's taking place between what the scripture says and how God's called us to live and what is being rapidly embraced in our culture. That's not an easy thing. It can be an unbelievably difficult thing. And yet the Bible would encourage us, the Bible would command us to be subject to our governing authorities. And so the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that biblically? And so the notes that you have there is going to begin walking through four major points. We'll do that relatively quickly this morning as we just navigate through with each point having questions that we're going to ask. So as it begins, it'll give us some instructions. Now, how do we flesh this out? How do we carry this out in a practical way? And the text is going to help us. And so I want us to be be very, very practical and yet hopefully very, very theological, very biblical is what I mean by theological there. It's coming straight out of the text to help us this morning. And so biblical submission, what does it mean? Number one, it means subjection to every God-ordained human institution. Which is what it says there in verse 13. Be subject or be... Submissive to, submit to, for the Lord's sake, every human institution. Now, what it means there, from the original language, there's every God-ordained human institution. All right, so we don't just submit to everything, but every uh, God-ordained human institution. So we're going to unpack this, subjection to these things. What does it mean to subject ourselves? What does it mean to submit. And so here you begin to see if subjection or submission has any meaning, it must mean something. Now you think, well, that's a, that's a pretty amazing thought there, Pastor. Well, but think about this for a moment. We'll talk about submission within our faith family. We'll talk about submission to the church, or we'll talk about submission to your husband, or we'll talk about submission to your parents. But I'm so, as I just listen, even to our faith family, so quickly behind the term submit. There's thousands of caveats, meaning situations and things you have to be able to say, well, in this case, and in this case, in this case. And it makes me wonder sometimes that in us as individuals, in myself, do we really have a heart to submit? By the time we put all the clarifiers and all the caveats and when you should and when you shouldn't, and in this case, and what if this, if somebody were to abuse this and all these things might happen, that ultimately, when are we ever really submitting? And so are we only submitting in the times where it goes with and alongside of our, our natural inclinations and desires? Let me just tell you from someone who is born again, has the spirit of God residing in him, but I still wage war with the passions of my own flesh, that if I only were going to submit when I felt like it, I would never submit. I would only submit when it's to my advantage. And that's not what the scripture is teaching. Peter here is writing in a time where there's extreme difficulties. They are slandering the believers as evildoers. And as they slander them as evildoers, he's saying, you're submitting to this very government that's doing that thing. Remember, Nero is is at power here. And it's under Nero's reign that Peter will be 
martyred. And yet Peter is going to say to them, subject yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor. You know who the emperor is? Nero. Who calls himself divine. Who says to people, you should hail me. You should worship me. It's a very antagonistic culture that they're living in. So it's not like Peter's writing to us today and we look at our nation in the direction that it's going and we go, man, this is somewhat antagonistic. No, 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 it's far worse than our nation. Far worse than our culture. And yet Peter says, be subject to him. And so if subjection or submission has any meaning, it must mean something. So what does it mean? It means itself to place or rank under to subject, to obey, to submit. That's what it means. Place oneself under their rank or in, or in a place under someone else. To subject ourselves, to obey, to submit. It's a military expression literally meaning to arrange in formation under a commander. So as I look across here, I know there's guys who have been in the military. And in this, they are commanded to do certain things. And there's... And so when they would begin to call them to roll call or a variety of other places, they're lining up, and in lining up, there's this particular file and rank, and everyone falls into place. And that's a picture of, a word picture, a visual of what submission looks like. You're falling under the authority and the commands of the person who is leading you. And so if that's what it means, then who are we submit to? Well, the Bible would... Communicate, submit, subject yourself, yourselves to every human institution. All right, so what does that mean? Right? Does that mean that every human institution would be like just any business and I should participate in every business that there is around and uh, because humans are made this institution and should I submit to those? Well, no, every God-ordained human institution. So the Bible is going to help us to be able to unpack this even at the book of First Peter. 13 and 14 is going to give us one of those. Verse 13 and 14 is going to speak of what's one of the human institutions? Government. Government. That's one of the human institutions. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, so that's speaking of the government there, or to governors as sent by him, so it's those who fall under rank underneath his leadership, to those who punish, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So verse 13 and 14, we begin to communicate one of the human institutions is the governing authorities. Now, we find that anywhere else in Scripture. Is this the only place? No. Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. You want to turn and just write it down. I'll read it quickly. But just write that. I'm going to be going rapid fire throughout the sermon. So just write down the places. I'm going to read them for you. But you can write them down to study at a later date. And I would encourage you to do so. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists God, what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And you think, wait a minute, that's not true, right? Didn't, didn't Peter and Paul and many of these other guys martyred for their good conduct? Yes, but it's in a general sense. It's for the the uh, clarity of our, our governments to be able to make sure that we don't have anarchy and chaos. He says, would you, not ha- would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. We're going to come back to that, but pay attention to that word. Think about the bearing the sword. What do you think the sword would be used for? You can talk to me. Punishment, right? 
And I, I think they would use something else if it simply meant a spanking, right? You're not going to spank with a sword, right? There are other two things. They could hit you with the, the, the base of the sword, right? But more often, they could cut you and kill you. So it was a means of what? Capital punishment. And so ultimately in this, there's a picture here that for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of the conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to taxes whom are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So one of the human institutions that God would call us to submit to would be our government. Now we're going to talk about why would you even need to say this and why would he bring up the government? It was, it's important because the theology that we're unpacking here, people have gone in a variety of ditches in their theology thinking about this. And so Peter wants to help us in this. And so one of the human, human institutions is government. Number two is business. Business. Now, he picks a more difficult way of explaining this, the hardest of the means to explain this. He actually talks about uh, indentured servants or even slavery. He talks about masters and bond servants or masters and slaves. And this is the terms that he used here in verse 18. It's not in the text that we're going to be seeing, but I wanted to point these out even in the book of 1 Peter. So 1 Peter uh, 2, 18, servants be subject, there it is again, to your masters with all respect. So speaking of servants there being slaves, being subject to your masters, being your owners with all respect, not only to do, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So what's it saying? Honor and submit even to masters who are unjust and unkind, who aren't gentle. They abuse you. That's hard. That's harsh. This is Scripture's teaching us to do. And so we think about that. That's what he's talking about in that type of culture, right? And not all were slaves or enslaved, enslavers of men. Many times it was indentured servants or those who were working off a debt and a variety of other things there. They were being um, taken out of another country and been enslaved. Uh, that First Peter 1, 8 would talk about not being enslavers of men. Um, but ultimately, it's speaking of those in a variety of different locations. But in this, here's the, the reality. Be subject to them. Submit to them. With all respect, not only if they do you good and are gentle, but if they are unjust and unkind. It's the only place we see Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will, ask the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this will be received back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. And he tells the masters, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So if we're going to submit and submission means that we're going to put ourselves under the authority of someone else, we're going to be subject to them. We're going to be placed in a rank or order underneath them. And they are the commander. They have the, are the authority. And that falls in government. And that also falls in business. And so for us, as we apply that to our lives, this is how this would begin to come out, that we should submit to our bosses or our employers, or if we're a boss and employer, we should lead well, then we make it, we'd be able to encourage those under us to submit joyfully. Colossians 3, 22 through 24 says the same thing. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. 
Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so when you willfully submit to your employer and you honor the Lord in your work and conduct with them, you're working to Christ. That's what the picture would say here. So we see government, we see business, we see marriage and family. Chapter 3, verse 1. This is where we'll be heading in the coming passages. First uh, Peter 3, verse 1. It says here, likewise, wives. So what is it saying, likewise? It's talking about submission. Likewise, wives, subject your, your, uh, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some of them do not obey the word. Here you go, you're having individuals who either may not be Christians or are Christians and aren't walking in the, according to the word of God. They're not walking according to the spirit. So even if they, some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So submit to your husbands. In a general sense, not that you have more than one husband, but women in general submit to your individual husband, even if they're not leading well. And this is where all the time we begin to talk about all these caveats. And, well, what about this? And wasn't the spiritual leader in my household? So we, you want to aid them. You want to encourage them. You want to um, make it easy for them. That you willfully come to them in submission. You look for opportunities to be able to place yourself under their leadership. And this is why we need to go back to the previous section that Pastor Tim was preached on last week. That's why it's so important that we need to abstain from the passions of our desires. Because in your flesh, everything will cry out, no, I don't want to submit to them. They're not worthy of honor. I'm worthy of respect. He doesn't obey the word of God. He has no desire for the things of God. Why should I submit to him? My employer, he's a jerk. I don't want to pay attention to him. Now, I'm, I'm going to do what I have to do, and then I'm, I'm going to do just what it requires to get by. I don't want to submit to the government. I'm an alien and stranger on this planet. Why should I submit to the government? This is all my, my father's land. His rules. I don't have to submit to the rules of this government. It's not the attitude of the Scripture. So likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. We want to make it increasingly difficult for those who don't obey the word to bring a slander against the things of God. And when they see our conduct, that we're so humble and so gentle, so willing to yield. They strike us on the right cheek. We turn the left also. They ask us to walk a mile. We go with them too. As for their cloak, we give them our tunic. Literally, we are naked. And it's such lavish grace that they're shamed by our nakedness. Because we're so generous. What about husbands? Likewise, you see there it again. Same theme. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You see it again and again. I could read these over and over and over. Uh, and it's not even simply with wives submitting to husbands and husbands loving their wives. Ephesians five twenty two through 6, 4. But I'll just pick out the last section of that passage, Ephesians 5, 22 to 6, 4. We'll pick up in chapter 6, verse 1. We'll speak to children now. Previous section, 22 to 24. Yeah, 22 to 24 is going to be addressing wives. 25 to the end of the chapter, verse 33, is going to be talking to husbands and the mystery that that there is about the gospel. 
being demonstrated in our marriages. But then Galatians, I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through verse 4 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So you're you're seeing not just marriage or husbands and wives, but the family as a whole. Institution created by God. Colossians 3, 18-21. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So, third human institution ordained by God. Marriage, family. The last one I want to address, and there potentially could be more. The last one I want to address is found in 1 Peter 3, verse 8. And it's the church. Finally, he addresses here, he addresses the church. All of you. All of you. Who, all of whom? All of you elect exiles that are in dispersion in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Asia, in Bithynia. All those whom Peter's writing this letter to, he's writing to the church. Or churches in general, the church, universal church, but then churches um, locally there that he's writing this letter to. Finally, all of you, the church, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Fourth human institution that we should submit to is the church. See that in Ephesians 5, 21, submitting, uh, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so the instructions here, the Bible would say, we need to place ourselves under the authority of those who aren't perfect, who are going to mess up, who aren't going to do this thing, and, and many aren't even believers. And yet the Scriptures would, would command us, submit to them. This is right in the Lord. And so we're talking government, business, marriage and family, the church. And so we're going to think about these, and we're going to be unpacking all these other ones as we go through the text. Uh, but as we're looking primarily this morning at the government, here, here's the question you might want to ask. It's there in your notes. Well, what's the purpose then of the human institution of government? In general, just in a general sense, because you could begin to look at representative democracies as we have here. You could see monarchies, dictatorships, a variety of other forms of governments. You begin to think, man, it's really difficult to know how to interact with a variety of different forms of government. And so, but what, if we just begin to back up and look at its purposes, then it might help us as we begin to navigate through this. And so the purpose of government is twofold. It's right there in verse 14. The purpose of government, number one, is to punish those who do evil. That's exactly what Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7 I read earlier was communicating. They shouldn't punish those who do good normally, normatively, right? They would look at our conduct and begin to look at that and go, okay, this is exactly what we would come in and we would encourage. And so the purpose of government is to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Right? So as you look at verse 14, or as the governor says, sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is the purpose of our government. Now, they can take on more forms of that, but its general purpose is twofold. Punish evil, praise good. Now, don't you wish our government would spend more time praising the good that is taking place in our society? Praising positive behaviors. 
All we ever see on the news and all we ever see on a variety of things is all the negative things. Or even trying to defend most of those who are doing evil. But if we were to punish those who do good and to praise those who do evil, that's its purpose. And so we want to come alongside that, underneath that, submitting ourselves unto our government, even though they're not going to do that perfectly, to aid in this purpose. I'm going to explain why a little later on in our text. But ultimately in this, biblical submission starts with subjecting ourselves to every God-ordained human institution. Now, why in the world, you've got to ask yourself these questions. Cause as a pastor, I'm asking myself, why in the world would Peter bring that up? What a random, like, is he just ADD and he's just like, looks out and he's like, squirrel, right? And he then starts, goes off in this whole tangent about the government. No, he's writing it to protect us from ditches that we might fall ourselves in, or might fall into. And here's where you see our second point. Not only subjection to every human, or every God-ordained human institution, but because we have freedom in and from every God-ordained human institution. We have freedom from and in every God-ordained human institution. That's what it says in verse 16. Live as people who are free, however, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. The reason he had to communicate this to them is because we could begin to read some of the things that the Bible says about who we are, and as a result of driving our theology from who we are, we might end up in some places that aren't helpful, right? So what does this mean? Well, let's just unpack this and I'll explain it as we go. What does it mean to live as people who are free? What does it mean then to live as if, we're, if we have freedom in every God-ordained human institution? What does it mean to live as people who are free? Well, it means two things primarily. Believers are not primarily citizens of this world, but of heaven. That's what it's saying. It's what Peter's trying to communicate to them. And that's exactly what uh, Pastor Tim preached last week, verses 9 through 11, the, pre- the preceding passages. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Right? You see that? So who are you? I wasn't. But now I am God's people. So we're God's people. We're not citizens of Rome, primarily, utmost. My allegiance, first and foremost, is not primarily citizens of this world and of Rome. But I'm God's people, of God's kingdom. Once you had not received mercy, now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, and here's the key, as sojourners and exiles, pilgrims and strangers, aliens in this world, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your Soul. And so the picture here is that living free is that we're not, as believers, we're not primarily citizens of this world, but we understand our citizenship is in heaven. That's exactly where we desire to go and will go when we die. And this is exactly what the scripture would teach, would it not? Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. Just you can write that down and then uh, listen along as I read it. As it's talking about the hall of faith, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But having seen them, these promises, and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, so they realized our citizenship was somewhere else. For they, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of the homeland at which they had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And so, as free people, we realize this isn't our home, and we're just passing through. And so, believers are not primarily citizens of this world, but of heaven. Number two, what does it mean to live free? Believers' primary allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom rather than any earthly kingdom. Now, hear me, hear me carefully. Our primary allegiance, we're still called to submit, and this is what the whole context of the passage is discussing. But believers' primary allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom rather than any earthly kingdom. That's what the passage means. Live as people who are free, not using their freedom as a cover-up, but living as, what? Servants of God. See, our primary allegiance is to Christ. We're servants of him and of his kingdom, not simply of whomever is in charge at that particular time. Now, if you, if you really begin to embrace that and all that it means, here's where the danger can lie. And this is our next question. Well, what then would be the dangers of such thinking? I mean, if you really read Scripture to obey it and read it to understand what it says about you and to you, here's the, here's the reality. There's dangers with that. What's the danger? The danger is to live in rebellion to the institutions of this world due to the fact that we are viewed as sojourners and exiles in this world. Let me read it again. The danger is to live in rebellion to the institutions of this world due to the fact that we are viewed as aliens or strangers and exiles, citizens to another world. And so if we see ourselves of that in this world, then here's what we'd say. I don't have to submit to anyone. Only one I'm submitting to is God. I don't have to pay attention to the laws of the land. I don't have to pay taxes. Why am I paying taxes for? My father owns it all. You should really bow down and submit to me. Because my father owns, the, owns everything. Trespassing laws. Man, my father owns it all. That land's mine because it belongs to him. See how dangerous that could be? How much chaos could be if we all just said, man, I'm an alien and a stranger. I just do whatever I want to do. Because my father owns it all. And so it's a danger. And so this is what the scripture says. That danger is why he says, live as people who are free. You are free. You're in Christ. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. You were once not a people. Now you are God's people. Once you not received mercy, now you've received God's mercy. You were aliens and strangers. You were uh, sojourners and exiles. But as you live as those people, be mindful you not to use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Your lack of submission shows you are not abstaining from the passions of your flesh. It's a cover-up. You're free. I'm free in Christ as a cover-up for sinning. That's the danger that Paul, uh, Peter wants to challenge here. Don't live that way. And this is the key when people begin to, or what's oftentimes called antinomianism, anti the law of God. We look at commands in Scripture and be like, man, there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, man, I believe that. Romans 8, 1. I'm, I fully support that. But the Bible also gives us imperatives. Imperatives meaning commands that we're supposed to adhere to. And so you've got a couple in our holiness, not just simply our status. Positionally, we're declared righteous. Justification. But justification is also coupled with what? Sanctification. I'm becoming conformed to the image of Christ. And in that, God is going to place us in difficult situations, just like that song said, I asked the Lord that I might grow. And you know what he did the remainder of the time? Put them in the furnace on purpose. Why? 
so we would not yield to the passions of our flesh. But through various trials, the faith that God has granted to us would come to fruition, would come to be evident in our lives. And so the danger of such thinking is that I'm in rebellion to anyone and everyone who's around me. I'm a wild ox of a man, and my hand is against everyone, and everyone is against me. This can be the way we view Scripture, and it's dangerous. What would then, would, third question, what would prevent a person from living with careless regard for God and others? This kind of careless way of approaching the Scripture. It's not careless in some sense, because man, he, at least they understood his position in Christ. Well, yeah, but he didn't, read the, he didn't obey the commands of Christ. And so it's a careless regard for God and others. And so what would prevent a person from living with this kind of careless regard? Well, that's what the next portion of verse 16 encourages, instructs us. What prevents them? Number one, we are not free unto our own passions, but are servants of God. Not just free to live however we want to live. God's commanded us to do certain things. And so we're encouraged to not honor our own passions, our own evil desires, but to be servants of God. That's what it says in verse 16. Live as people who are free, but not using your own freedom as a cover for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, just kind of bring this all together and use a, a biblical passage with Jesus, okay? So, you know, turn there, Matthew chapter 17, 24 through 27. Just write that in your notes. I'm going to read it to you and explain it. Matthew 17, 24 through 27. Matthew says this. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And Peter said, Yes. Yes, of course he pays the tax. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? So the question was whether or not Jesus was going to pay the taxes. This two drachma tax, right? And the guy comes up to Peter and asks him the question. He's like, well, yeah, of course we should pay taxes. And so then Jesus begins to give an illustration to prove this point about freedom and living free in Christ. Living free in the kingdom of God. He says, well, listen, what, what do you think? When the kings of the earth take a toll or tax, who pays that? His sons? The king's sons? Or others? And when, when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, so Peter then answers rightly, well, the king's son's not going to pay. He's the king's son. Right? Peasants, the people, the citizens will be the one who pays the toll or the taxes. And when Peter said from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Here's the key. Not simply the miracle where he goes and throws a hook into the sea and the fish bites it and has tax money in its mouth. That's pretty incredible, right? But it's not, not simply the point, the miracle that was in there. It's the purpose of what Jesus was saying. He says, listen, the question he asked him was purposeful. Who pays the taxes, the king's sons or the people, the citizens? The citizens pay, not the king's sons. Now, Jesus alludes to this, then the sons are free. However, now applying it to himself, not to give offense to them. I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. I don't have to pay taxes. I'm free. But however, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shovel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Meaning, I'm free, Peter. This isn't the kingdom that I'm about. But not to give offense to them in light of this kingdom, 
pay the taxes that's owed to them. And this is exactly what is being addressed here by Peter, right? Peter's now bringing this up, remembering this story, remembering this illustration, and is writing to the elect exiles. Listen, you're aliens and strangers. This isn't your home. This isn't your world. This isn't your kingdom. Your kingdom's in heaven. It's another world. However, we're not completely divorced of the things of this world, and we don't want to give offense for people to slander us. And so as a result of that, yield, submit, obey the things of God. And one of those things would be yield, submit, subject yourselves to governing authorities, to every human institution. And so we need to have subjection to every God-ordained human institution, and yet at the same time we have freedom in every God-ordained human institution. We're free in it. We need not be afraid of the government. Well, the question should be posed, then why? Why would we do this? What's the motivation? Here's, here's your next point. Motivation for godly living within every God-ordained human institution. What should motivate us? Why should we, the question in your notes, why should we subject ourselves? Why? Why would we do that? There's a variety of things that Scripture tells us here in this passage. Number one, we should submit ourselves for the Lord's sake. Verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, and he goes on about governors and so forth. So number one, for the Lord's sake, simply because God commanded it. Our king, our sovereign, our ruler communicates to us. We should submit to others. Submit to our governing authorities primarily. In this, in this passage primarily. And so in this, our instructions for us is that we should submit for the name of Christ. We bear his name, and for the Lord's name's sake, we submit, and we should do it joyfully. And so what's our motivation? We should submit ourselves for the Lord's sake. Number two, we should submit ourselves in accordance to the will of God, not only for the Lord's sake, but in accordance to the will of God. Verse 15, for this is the will of God. What is that? That we would, be submit, we would submit to the, kingdom of, the kingdoms of this world. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish People. So sometimes we just wonder, well, what's the will of God for your life? Be a good citizen and pay your taxes. That's the will of God for your life. What if I don't agree with our rulers and who's been elected? It doesn't matter. That's not your job. God will, God will bring retribution and vengeance and clarity in due time. That's his. We willingly submit to the governing authorities that he's placed in our life. Those institutions that I alluded to before. The government, business, marriage and family, church. Other institutions, potentially, that we walk through in a variety of different means that you may place yourself under. That's the will of God for your life. Other places, the will of God, be communicated your sanctification. First Thessalonians 4.3. What is the will of God for your life? Your sanctification. So in these are tied together. Part of your sanctification is submitting, subjecting yourselves to every human institution. So why should we submit ourselves for the Lord's sake in accordance to the will of God? Number three, why should we submit ourselves to silence the ignorance of foolish people silence the ignorance of foolish people why would we want them to be silenced because the will of god he's called us to should be that we'd be live in such a way that's so pleasing to him that the world should embrace us and yet this world hates us in so many different ways right so we don't want to give additional offenses when in our and especially when the spiritual hits the temporal right Carnal things of this world hits the earth, the earthly carnal things of this world hits the spiritual things of this world, the eternal. They're in conflict. What does light have to do with darkness? It doesn't. One dispels the other. And so you have this conflict in the spiritual realms that's taking place. And so we don't want to give additional offense in the things that 
we, we can have agreement in. And so whether it's taxes or other things, the Bible would begin to say this. And so we want to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What is this, this ignorance of foolish people? One is they're, they disobey the word. It goes back to these people in verses uh, six, uh, uh, seven, and, uh, 7 through 9 or 8 through 9. Those who are a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they rejected the cornerstone. They who stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. These are the ignorant, foolish people. And not simply ignorant, they don't know enough, but they're hostile to the things of God. Well, they know what we say, but they're hostile to it. They're not really listening to understand what we say. So we would speak of different variety of things that culturally would be going on at this particular day, and they would just call us phobic or or bigots, or intolerant, haters. You're not even listening to me. You're talking over me. You're talking past me. Listen to what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. And that's that's the type of ignorance of these foolish people is to be able to say, they don't want to hear you. They want to remain under the ignorance. They're hostile toward the things of God. And so these ignorance of these foolish people, what are they doing? It goes back to verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, those who are outside the kingdom of God, honorable, So that these ignorant and foolish people, when they speak evil against you or speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You see how it's all tying together now? You're living in a culture that hates you, that hates your king. And so as a result of that, they're going to be resistant, hostile ignorance because they're foolish in their ways. They're darkened in their mindset. They're held captive by the enemy. They're sons and daughters of disobedience, carrying out the desires of their flesh. All that Ephesians 2 describes about lost humanity, this is whom we're interacting with. And we don't want to give them greater opportunities to slander our name and more, more importantly, the name of the, the God that we serve. And it's going to grow intensely more difficult. And so in the ways that we can honor the law, we should. Now, let me pause here just for a moment. There's a couple, two more points in this section I want to point out, but I think it's a good place to go do that. And now, after all that, it's a good point for the caveat, right? There will be times where our government will forbid us from doing what God has commanded us to do, and we must disobey. Daniel, when the edict was given that you could not pray to any other God, what does Daniel do? He goes up and prays just like he always has. When the government forbids us from doing what God has commanded us to do, we disobey. Remember in Acts where Peter, James, and John were forbidden to preach the kingdom of God? They were beaten. Don't, don't proclaim him anymore. Don't do that. And what does he, how does he communicate to them? Whether it's just in your eyes to obey you, you'll have to discern that. But ultimately, we're going to obey what God's commanded us to do. And so when. Forbid, when we're commanded to be, or we're forbidden from doing what God commands us to do, we must disobey the government. And the opposite is true. When they command us to do what the Bible has forbidden us to do, we must disobey. When they command us to do things that are not in line with the Word of God, we must obey. Now, here's the key. How do we interact with them when we disobey? If things continue to go the way they're going, the type of sermons that I would preach verse by verse going through the text, the things I would say may one day be labeled as hate speech. And at some point, they may say, you can't preach the word of God. And they may remove us from this building and cease being a formal institution and we'll just go underground. Meaning we'll meet at my house or meet a different location. 
Or they might not force us to go underground. It might be here, and, but they'll come and listen to what we have to say. And so it might be a sermon, and man, I just happened to preach 1 Corinthians 6. when it talks about those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it gives a whole list of a variety of different types of lifestyles. And I'll just preach 1 Corinthians 6, 9, as I would preach any other passage. We haven't hit 1 Corinthians yet, so it's, it's coming. And one of the days we'll be preaching through 1 Corinthians. And it could be a, a, an official from the government sitting in here. And I'm going to preach in contradiction to what they would label as hate speech and when I do so they're going to arrest me now how do I respond when arrested I lay on the floor right they got to drag me out right no man I they call me out they stand up and you you disobeyed the law I absolutely did whether or not you judge that right or not, it's up between you, you and the Lord. But not, I'm going to do what God called me to do. And then they say, well, put your hands behind your back. And I don't go into my kung fu stance, right? My karate kid, right? I don't go any of that. I willingly put my hands behind my back. And I go to the, the police car with them. And I do as they tell me to do. And I go to prison and I, I pray and I read. And pray that Acts chapter 12 or a variety of other passages with Peter and Paul are in prison start leading people to faith in Christ. Joyfully, willingly. I'm not having a sit-in, a lay-in, right? Protesting. I, I do what God's called me to do. And I yield and submit. I'm preparing my family. I'm preparing the faith family. This could be ahead of us. And we do it joyfully. And that's how we interact. This protest type mindset is not a biblical clarity. You think, well, what about Martin Luther in those days? The reality was to bring clarity to that. It wasn't to lead a revolt. It wasn't Martin Luther's intent to lead a revolt. But if doing the things that God's commanded us to do is forbidden by our government, we're going to continue to walk forward until the time where we are arrested. And then we'll gladly, hopefully gladly go with them. Definitely submissively we will go with them to prison without a fight. I'm not going to hold myself up in our home loaded, barricaded with weapons, right? Picking them off as they come my direction. That's, that's not the way that God would have us to live, right? So in that, that's our intent. So caveat there, just to be able to walk us through that. So number four, what's the next one on our list there? So why should we, we submit? We should gladly submit to them to give greater clarity to what is good and evil. To give greater clarity to what is good and evil. It says, or to governors... Do we, why we submit them? Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as living as servants of God. So here in essence is what it's saying. I'm going to try to explain this. You're seeing there this reality where government is supposed to punish what is evil. And government is supposed to praise what is good. Remember I told you that was the purpose of government. Well, between the kingdom of God, which is a different level of submission, a different citizenship that we're in. We are in this world, but not of this world, right? So we're of the kingdom of God. We're of that world, but we're in this temporal world. And here's what we know. Light and darkness don't have anything to light together with them. The prince of the power of this world is Satan, and he's ruling and reigning in this world. And yet we live in this world. Now, he's in submission, or in submissive to and submitting to Christ, who's overall and sovereign overall, but yet this is the world system. We understand that the scripture speaks this way. So we're in the world, but we're not of the world. 
And so we're in this different kingdom. We're aliens and strangers in this world because we're of this kingdom, but yet we're physically in this kingdom. And this world is going to say and have some means of understanding good and evil. And so here's the the reality. Our willingly submitting is helping to establish those areas that are good and those areas that are evil. And where they can overlap, this section of overlapping, so you've got all this section of God's kingdom that they don't understand, and and all this section of their kingdom that we're not going to do, but where good and evil can overlap, we want to be able to communicate those things and bring greater, greater clarity there. Does that make sense? And so we're bringing clarity in while we're of this, of this world, the spiritual world, and we're in this world, the physical world, we want to try to bring greater clarity to what is good and what is evil. So what is good? Be submissive. Do you, pay your taxes. Go to work. Work a full day's wage. Be kind to one another. Have integrity. All those things that are good and be praiseworthy in a pagan world that they would get it and they would understand. We should be the best employees. We should have the best attitudes. We shouldn't be leading the gossip and the slander around the water cooler. We should be leading an uprising and a coup within your workplace. We should be the most submissive. And where there's good and evil, we should be the ones that are the, the, the strongest in demonstrating with kindness, with humility, what is right and what is wrong. And where those can't overlap, we want to bring greater clarity there. And that's what the whole book of First Peter is about. Follow along. As we're just seeing this, you're going to see verse after verse after verse. You can just write them down. I'm going to read them very quickly. But this doing good and this magnifying what is right versus what is wrong, this good and evil, is constantly being uh, discussed in First Peter. So First Peter 2.12, we just read this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they, speak evil against, uh, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So there's your good deeds. First Peter 2.20, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So don't do evil and get punished for it. That's no benefit to you. But when you do good and you suffer for it, then endure that. It's the gracious thing in the sight of God. God has ordained that. You think, man, that sounds so positive. God's ordaining me to suffer when I do good. That's why we chose the song that we sang right before I preached. I asked the Lord that I might grow. That's how he's going to help us to grow. 1 Peter 3, 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That's a whole different illustration there about submission. I wish I had time to unpack that beautiful passage. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling her husband Lord. And you think, well, of course you like that. You're a male. Not for those reasons. Not for those reasons. I'd love to unpack that for you later. But as Sarah, we'll get to it. First Peter 3, 6 coming. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Check that verse out. You do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. It could strike fear in the life of most people, but don't fear it. Just do good. First Peter 3.10, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. First Peter 3.13, now, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And once again, this is in the context of those who aren't, believers and yet they should see something in us that falls in line with what they would characterize as goodness first peter three sixteen and 17 having a good conscience so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in christ may be put to shame for it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be god's will than for doing evil and in first peter four nineteen, therefore let those who suffer according to god's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing 
good. So God wants us in this world that where there's overlap, right, there's going to be certain things that they're going to want us to do, and we're not going to do them, and they're going to call us evil. They're going to slander us. So this passage is replete with examples of just out of First Peter. Evildoers, hatred, hate everybody. And so there are going to be, there are going to be areas where those kingdoms don't overlap. Where the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world do overlap, we want to excel in doing good deeds so that we can silence the ignorance of foolish people. And lastly, reasons for submitting, the last one, to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. By these good deeds, by those good words, we proclaim Him. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Men and women, the gospel should be quick, quick upon our lips. That we'd want to proclaim Him. Alright, so then, practical applications. How do we then, what instructions are given to us to actually apply what can be a pretty weighty message, right? And there's a lot of moving parts here, and it's Sometimes it's hard to unpack it where it makes sense, it makes it easy, but hopefully these four things are just helping us to be able to do that. There's subjection to every uh, God-ordained human institution. Right? There's, we need to be in subjection to it. But yet at the same time, there's freedom in Christ. We're sons of God, so we're free. But in an attempt not to give an offense to this world, to be able to demonstrate what is right and what is wrong, and we want to, in our freedom, we're freedom from every uh, God-ordained human institution. We have these motivations that are calling us to subject ourselves in this manner to every God-ordained human institution. So then, does Peter give us any helps? Yes, he does. Instructions for godly living within every God-ordained human institution. Verse 17, and we will close with this. So how do we practically apply these instructions to our lives? How do you and I do this? And I tried to give examples throughout, but now Peter's going to give some pretty, uh, pretty explicit uh, instructions here for us. So number one... They're not in order as they come in the chapter uh, 2, verse 17. They're not in the order, uh, but I'm, I put them in a different order on purpose. All right, so first one, fear God. It was the third instruction here, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor, but I moved it to number one. It begins with a proper understanding of who God is and who you are. Fear Him. The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Matthew chapter 10 why fear those who can destroy your body and not destroy your uh, and not destroy your soul, but fear God who both can destroy your body and soul in hell? I mean, that's not an encouragement at all, right? Yes, it is, because then he continues on and says that he he's numbered the hairs on your head. Even though sparrows, two sparrows are sold for a penny, but not a sparrow falls to ground that's not uh, with his knowledge of it. Is he not the one who feeds the sparrows? And yet he loves us more than the sparrows. We're the crown of his creation. And so in this we fear God. And so the first and foremost, as you go to work, as you live in your home, as you submit to the government and a variety of other venues that, you, that God will place us in, our desire is to be, to proclaim his excellencies, to fear him above all things, to want to know how he would call us to live in those situations. So fear God. Number two, honor everyone appropriate to their role. Honor everyone appropriate to their role. That's where you tie in it. It's highlighted, it's bolded, and italicized in your notes. That's number one and number four in this list. Honor everyone 
And then at the end, he comes back to where he was at the beginning, right? At the beginning, he says, whether uh, subject yourselves to every human authority, whether it be to the emperor or the king as, the, as governors, um, uh, or to the governors that sent by him to punish those who do good and evil. And so he's coming all back around full circle. So he says, honor everyone and honor the emperor. We begin where we end where we started. So what that communicates is, I believe it communicates, honor everyone appro- appropriate to their role. But yet we're supposed to honor everyone. And so it talks about submitting to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him. You're seeing there's authority structures that are placed in different places. So you take even the submission to the church. The Bible says you submit to your leaders and obey them. Now, does that mean that every crazy that's preaching on the Internet or every crazy that's podcasting or every crazy that's on cable television, you're supposed to submit to them? I mean, they call themselves a pastor, a bishop. They use Bible language. You have elders showing up at your door with little black ties and white shirts and got elder in their last name on their little, their little blue badges that show up in your, in your um, neighborhoods. Speaking of Mormons, by the way, if you haven't picked that up. You're supposed to submit to them. They call themselves elders. That's a biblical term. How do you know whom to submit to and how to honor them? If you're careless with this, you wouldn't understand. So you honor everyone appropriate to their role. Women should submit. But are you supposed to, women are you supposed to submit to any man at any point in time? Do whatever any man tells you, thoughtlessly, just following along whatever they tell you to do? Absolutely not. You submit to your husband and everything, Ephesians 5 would communicate. So how do we interact with these? That you submit to everyone according or appropriate to their role. And so we submit in accordance to the role of those who place in it. So here's a question in it would begin to pose. That's easier when you think about, okay, the president. And you know, through the course of time, we have two primary parties, right? You've got a libertarian party as well, but primary Republican Democratic. I'm sure guys in the military will have to submit and yield to the commander-in-chief who becomes our president, even though they did not vote for him. And so you just got to wonder sometimes when the president's getting off Air Force One and the guy there is saluting the president, right? This, he's not necessarily saluting the man. He's saluting the position. And he's honoring the position because it's due honor. Honor everyone appropriate to their role. And so here's the commander-in-chief, and that whatever rank he's at, he falls under submission, just like we talked about before, under rank and order, as by the commanding officer. And so here the commander-in-chief walks down Air Force One, and there at whatever airport these guys are submitting to them, submitting to his authority, his position, they're going to they're gonna salute him, give him honor. You think, well, okay, but I see that, I mean, and... Yeah, okay, I get it. But here's the question. Here's where That can be difficult, right? You don't like the guy's doctrines. You don't like the guy's ideology and his teachings and whatever. Whomever, Republican, Democrat, whoever's in the office at a particular time, that individual may not want to submit to it, but they do. They should, right? If not, you'll be court-martialed, right? You're, you're going to get in trouble. Why? You had honor. It's all about honor. It's respect. People can die if we don't, they don't do the things they're called to do. It creates chaos and disorder. Well, here's the question then. The Bible says this, and I read it, read it carefully. I want you to read with me here. So it says here, verse 17, verse 1, honor just a few people. No, honor everyone. 
Now, here's the question. It's not in your notes, but I want you to process this. How then do we honor a murderer, a pedophile, and a rapist? How do you honor them? Honor everyone. I'm an except murderers, pedophiles, rapists. You don't honor them. No. We're called to honor everyone. Everyone. So how do we do that? Okay, remember the tie-in here? This is where it gets full circle. We submit to our governing authorities. It's not an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I don't carry retaliation, retribution on my own. I'm yielding and submitting to the government. Somebody comes in here and tries to protest as they're doing in the, in the state of North Carolina. Preachers are preaching the gospel and people are coming in. They're standing up and just trying to talk down the preacher as he's proclaiming the word of God. Activists and lobbyists and a variety of others in attempting to harm the kingdom's purposes. We go to brawl here. We go to fighting. Taking our own hands? No. Ask one of you guys to call the police. Well, I'm call the person out of order. Ma'am, sir, you're out of order. I'd ask you to sit. I'd be happy to address any comments, conversations you have after the service, but you're out of order. Would you please have a seat? And at some point, somebody's going to get up and call the police. I instruct someone to call the police and have them removed. Why? Calling the governing authorities to do what they would be able to do. So in this particular, how do you honor the murderer, the pedophile, the rapist? Two ways. Number one, a fair trial. Right? You don't take it into your own hands. It's a fair trial. And number two, we would desire they would be honored that they would have punishment fitting to the crime or offense. A punishment fitting to the crime or offense. That's how you would honor murder, rapist, pedophile, and a variety of other those who would break the law. Right? It's a sword. Even unto capital punishment. It's what the sword is for. It's why Peter was told by Jesus in the garden, Peter, you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. It's not speaking human retaliation. You're going to come across somebody that's a better swordsman than you are and they're going to kill you. No, he's saying the government carries the sword. And it's right for them to take your life if you break the law. They punish evildoers. Don't break the law. And so, in that, we should honor everyone appropriate to their role. Number three, we should love the family of God. How do we practically apply submitting to one another? Love the brotherhood. That means to love the faith family. And then lastly, serve willingly. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Once again, we should willingly want to serve all that God puts in our path. We want to do good. That's the will of God for our lives. The practical application, willingly serve those around you. And so here it is. I'm just going to read Matthew 5. This is a sermon, one, sermon on the Mount. Jesus' sermon in Matthew 5 through 7. Here's what he says. You've heard that it was said... An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, they'd heard it was said that way because why? That's what the law says. But what what began to happen was it began to be a mindset for vengeance and retaliation. 
It's what individuals would do one to another. And Jesus was correcting that. You don't just an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Somebody pokes you in an eye, you go poke their eye out, right? Knock your tooth out, you punch them in the face, right? Knock their tooth out. Well, no, it's saying, listen, it's going to be proper retribution from governing authorities. Proper retribution. That's why I went before. Fair trial, punishment, fitting to the crime or offense is how we respond to evildoers. It's how we show them honor to everyone, even those who would break God's law, and man's law. And so proper retribution from governing authorities. And so Jesus is saying, you've heard of it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And they're, they're thinking vengeance, human retaliation. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, so what the military would require of the citizens there, the Roman guards would require of the, the, uh, the Jewish citizens there, if they would force you to go one mile, carry their bags one mile, he says to go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Jesus is communicating. Be willing to serve others. So much so that it hurts. Right? Earnestly. Remember I talked about earnestly what it means? Stretch to the very possible limits. If you're stooping your head and you're looking as far as you possibly can go, we should want to serve willingly. This is the challenge for us. At a time where our our country is becoming increasingly more hostile to the things of God. And we're not, we're not going to win this thing by protesting, having sit-ins. We're gonna, God's kingdom will prevail as we lovingly submit and we joyfully share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone around us. So we make disciples. That's how it's been working from the very beginning. And that's how God will choose to continue to work in our time today. Biblically submitting. And it starts here with our governing authorities. We'll continue to go on through, as you saw in the days ahead, to employer-employee relationships, marriage-family relationships, church, and so on. But it's a big deal for us. So be cautious. Be careful. Practical uh, Practical exhortation for us. Let's try not to gossip, to slander, unwholesome, corrupting speech come from our, mi- our mouths about our governing authorities. Well, there's nothing to praise. I guess I'm not going to say anything. It's better to say nothing than to say something wrong, right? Even a fool's perceived wise when he doesn't open his mouth, the Scripture says. Some of the dumbest people you ever meet, they don't ever open their mouth. To it. Man, this is the humble, quiet, the friendly fellow. Now, he's not really humble, quiet, or friendly, but he just didn't open his mouth yet. Just let, but you know what I mean? So you can begin to think about that. I'm just not going to say anything. Or if we're going to say something, here's where we should encourage people. First Timothy 2, 3 and 4. Or 1 and 2, where it talks about that we should pray for those who are in high positions, our kings and those who are in authority. We should be praying for them, that God would grant them wisdom. He would change their heart. They would be born again. They would love the things of God. We should pray for them. And so it leads on to our relationship with our spouse. We shouldn't say evil things about our spouse. We shouldn't say evil things about our children. We shouldn't say evil things about our employer, our employees. The reality is, how do we honor God in our relationships? We should be submissive. Let's pray. Father, thank Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.